and it's just like a river down the trail. And, you know, there was never a moment of like, oh, I'm not going to do this. It was just like, wow, this is insane. Okay, everyone, you heard her, the queen of Pisgah, Casey Armstrong joins us today on Bobby and Jens. Okay, everyone, I told you a couple weeks ago that I did my first ever mountain bike stage race, the Pisgah Stage Race near Brevard, North Carolina. And I had an amazing time and I met some amazing people. And one of them is our guest today, Casey Armstrong. Welcome to Bobby and Jens. Yay. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to talk about Pisgah Stage Race. <laughs> well, you know, I had to say that was one of the most interesting things I've, I've ever done. I mean, I grew up in Colorado. I had a mountain bike before mountain bikes were cool, but I didn't ever see descents and technical track like we, we saw in Pisgah. It was a bit of a shocker. And I'm still kind of recovering mentally from it because I don't like being scared. I don't like taking risks, especially on descents. I mean, I'm 50 years old. If I fall over, you know, I'm going to break, break a hip or something, you know. And, um, but I, I came across something that really made sense to me. And I want to read it to you. I kind of pimped it off of an Instagram uh, video. And it says, you have to master a new skill, but you are avoiding it because you know you will be bad at it when you first do it. And if you are professionistic, you are going to say, I can't allow myself to be bad at anything. I can't allow myself to be a fool. And no wonder. But the problem is when you try something new, you will always be a fool. So unless you are willing to be a fool, you can't learn anything new. You are a fool when you try something new. So I just want to say that took a lot for me to do that race. I felt like the fool. And I just want to introduce myself. My name is Bobby. You, you called me rider back every single time you came blowing by me on the descent. So I just want to make sure that you know my name is Bobby, not rider back, because I was starting to think that my name was rider back after that week. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I will be totally honest too. I didn't know who you were or that you were with George and Cappy the first couple of days. And then we did end up interacting a lot. And a friend was like, yeah, that's George Hincappy and Bobby Dulick. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> I should say hi next time. <laughs> so now that we started um, talking about it today, um, I'm just curious, how did you discover cycling for yourself? Um, from what I know, you have had a completely different job before. So where and how? Did the change come across or came across? Yeah, that is a good question. I actually grew up doing competitive cheerleading and um, I just aged out of it in college and was over it. And maybe I'm really good at being a fool, as Bobby says, like I love learning new things. Um, 
So yeah, it was just like, what's the new thing that I'm going to learn? And at first it was whitewater kayaking and it scared me too much. And then all the guys that did that also did mountain biking. So that was easier per se. So I went out and bought a Gary Fisher and then went mountain biking and wrecked a lot. (laughs) But I was just like, really into the community and um I really love to be challenged and yeah being a fool for sure and at the exact same time I was in college there was a collegiate cycling team so I came from a cheer team like always having teammates and I also did swim so I've always had teammates been on a team So in many ways, it was just so fitting. I was like, went on to the website and hit the contact us link and was like, hey, my name is Casey Armstrong. I'm mountain bike and would love to be a part of this team. And then they kind of never got back to me. But a friend a year later was like, what? We never got back to you. And I was like, yeah, I would love to be on this team. But they just did road racing. So I was like, hey, I'll do the road races. Like, I'll figure it out if you guys send me to Collegiate Nationals. And then I ended up getting second at that Nationals. And so then I got a scholarship and I paid for school. And I ended up being way better than I ever thought. And then I ended up winning Collegiate Nationals. So it was like, yes. And then... That's when the ball just got rolling with mountain biking. So, yeah. And I live on the East Coast. And I will say my very first ever stage race was Pisgah Stage Race. And I did it with my boyfriend at the time. And they were six-hour days. Like, it was before they shortened it. And I cried. I wrecked. I wondered how in the world do people ride these trails? Like I remember walking down and was just like, what is this? Like I came here to ride my bike, not hike my bike. But then again, I was made a fool. So I was like, whatever, I'm going to keep going back because it was just a two hour drive from Knoxville. And boom, I started being able to like ride the descents and riding all these things that I used to walk. And From there, it was just like history. Like, I love it so much. (laughs) As you know, Bobby, I love going downhill there. I'm like, yes, let's go. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, it was a different story for me. I was praying for every uphill because I was just white knuckled. Like, how are people riding this? And when I would hear rider back, I would try to get over to the side of the road as quick as possible or the side of the trail. Um... And then briefly get to see riders like yourself whiz by me in such a, I mean, obviously fast, but the word that comes to mind to explain you and so many of the others going downhill was smooth. Like you just didn't seem to have the same level of fear that I had, but then again, you were going faster. So it looks so much more smooth. How do you learn to do that? Because for me, it was a mental, mental thing more than anything. And to yourselves, to your credit, to so many other people, they were whizzing by me and they would give me some little hint 
um, relax your arms, um, don't worry, you'll get it by the end of the week. Um, look where you want to go, not where your your front wheel is. But that was almost like sensory overload. I'm like, wait a second, I can't just like snap this little tidbit out of the air and implement it because it, I don't have the skills to to back that up. Even if I did relax my arms, even if I did let go of the brakes, even if I you know, did look where I wanted to go instead of in front of my front wheel, I would have still been petrified. But you said that this was your first mountain bike stage race as well. So what, how do you progress to get from white knuckling it like myself to smooth flow rider, like, like yourself? I think the person that told you that you'll get it by the end of the week, was close to the answer. I do think you become more used to seeing stuff, so you relax to it. And um, like, I don't know. Okay, when I coach kids, this is the best example. Is like you can only learn one thing at a time. So whenever I... <laughs> talk to the kids I never say relax your shoulders let off the brakes look ahead if anything I think um the most obvious thing for me is to like relax the arms like in Pisgah I think like if you're real rigid you're slamming the brakes on all of that stuff so for me I see a bunch of rocks coming or I see a bunch of roots coming I literally just loosen my grip and it's just like you don't want to resist it. Like don't resist what's coming because the resistance is what completely kills you in Pisgah. Like even the day that we did pilot rock, which is the queen stage, it's day four. And it comes after one of the longest days and you're like, wow, it never gets easier. But pilot rock is just rocks and it's fast and it's downhill and you just got to go. And the best thing on pie rock is every time I get tired, I like want to like sit down or like squeeze the brakes and it just gets harder. So it's just like, okay, I'm just going to like take it and just relax. I'm like, Ooh. but yeah, doing it over and over helps. And then just stop resisting it is like my number one advice for people. Cause I can resist it a lot. Like when I was learning, it was just like, Oh, land the brakes on. Oh, like brakes. Oh, I'm rigid. Ooh, I'm stressed out versus just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so now that you have been uh, largely successful this year, um, at one moment, at what day, at what point you knew, I think I actually gonna win. At, at, at one moment you were sure or at one moment you had the first hope of it and at one moment you went, I think I got it. Actually, I didn't know I was going to do the Pisgah stage race until like five days before the race. So this happened to work out with my calendar. I bought this race during COVID when all the races weren't happening and then forgot I bought it because it got postponed. And then I was like, oh no, like I overbooked myself. But Coming into this race, I came like two days after Sea Otter and, you know, like a couple weeks after Cape Epic. And I have just 
just been feeling so good and so strong. And it was just like, I knew going into the week, I was like, I'm going to win this race. Like, I don't know who's going to be here, but like, this is my place. Like I haven't rode here in forever. I'm like, I'm never the most confident person at like being like, I'm going to win this race, but it just felt like my week. Like I was like, I've been feeling so strong at all these other races with like some not so good luck. But I was like at Pisgah, like unless like a huge mechanical happens, like I know this place and like, I know how to race it and I'm excited. So it's just like, I knew I was going to win. And then day one, when we went off, like, I just like never saw another girl. I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to race with the men today. (laughs) It was fun. Well, I saw you quite often and quite a few other women as they whizzed by me on the descent. So um, I could I could tell you a little bit about what your competition looked like. But I, I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, just about six years ago. And from the moment I moved here, because we have some friends that are, you know, go up to Pisgah all the time. Cleve Blackwell, he always talks about it. Um, he's a, a rep for SRAM. But it always seemed like this magical place that we just never found time to go to. So I now understand what, what Pisgah is and what Pisgah means, but I'd be really interested to hear what it means to yourself and, and so many of the other locals that we met at the event itself, because I was going in blind. I mean, honestly, I don't like finish lines. I don't like uh, stopwatches anymore. I want to ride my bike. I want to participate and I want to have pleasure, not pain. So a few people, including uh, a friend of mine from, from Revel Cycles in Carbondale, Colorado, who provided me a, a fantastic bike. Thank you, Chris, for that. He and a lot of other people were like, um, wow, you picked a humdinger to, to start your first ever mountain bike race in. And I'm like, come on. I mean, a mountain bike race is a mountain bike race. If you, if it's, if it's too technical, you just go slower, but it is magical. I mean, I had a smile from ear to ear, even though I was just, you know, scared half the time going down the descents, but I really wanted to take out my phone, which obviously I wasn't even close to doing because it was way too technical, but you know, just taking those mental snapshots and creating those those memories. And it was a special place. But yeah, I, I really like to hear what makes it so special to yourself. Yeah, um, Pisgah is extremely special. I think in many ways, it was my first stage race, but it was also the first time I was really introduced to Pisgah. And at the exact same time, a lot of people from Knoxville, my bike community, were going there. And then I made friends there. And we just would spend these big days mountain biking there, getting lost. And, you know, it's always challenging. But when you're around friends, it's so much fun. And when you conquer something big in a beautiful place and you feel when you're out there, it's like you can leave the parking lot and in 10 minutes you think, man, I'm in the middle of nowhere, which is a nice feeling. Like you feel away from everything. And then 
Um, there's these other races in Pisgah, uh, like they're put on by Pisgah Productions, just like the other Pisgah race guy there, Eric Weber. And he puts on these events that are like eight hours to 48 hours. And it's self-supported kind of. And they're like, he gives you a map. And he says, okay, here's where the checkpoints are. Whoever gets all of these checkpoints, the fastest will win. And then, um, you know, you're out there with a partner doing this. And so all of us in North Carolina and Tennessee would do these races all day, racing against each other, getting lost in Pisgah. And then, you know, like it just becomes part of you friendship and you share all these great memories with them and you conquer some big goals as far as like completing our trails completing really hard days like different days has go where it's rained 10 inches like when I got back to my campsite my tent was floating but we literally mountain biked all day and it's just like a river down the trail and you know there was never a moment of like oh, I'm not going to do this. It was just like, wow, this is insane. Like, I can't believe we're out here racing with each other in this, like, rainstorm in Pisgah. And it's just, like, rhododendron tunnels and rocks. Yeah, I mean, you were there. It's just, like, it's its own very special place because, I mean, British Columbia kind of has this feel as far as, like, you know, Rudy, Rocky, technical, but I really feel like Pisgah is very much like you can get lost out there very quickly. So that holds a special place for me. And then like through that, it's like I've progressed like as an athlete, like I went from like not being good to the best. And then there's this series called Queen of Pisgah and King of Pisgah. And it's through Pisgah Productions and it's five races and it's like, the last one is 48 hours of self-supported, like, like you have to find a place on a map, the fastest way to get there, a lot of hike a bike. It's just crazy stuff and like eating hot peppers, insane stuff. And I didn't win it for the first two years. And I remember the third year after the second race, I was like, I'm going to win the Queen of Pisgah series. And that was just like, you get this belt buckle and it's like, I still wear that belt buckle. <laughs> like when I won collegiate nationals, I had that belt buckle on on the podium. Like I was like, this is where I came from. This is what made me so tough. So it was good. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton magazine, exclusive membership content from values.com access all the premium content from the whole outside family including yoga journal backpacker ski outside magazine and many others and that's not all there are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events access to gaia gps and trail forks as well as virtual health and fitness courses it's 350 dollars of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout, 
you will receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Casey. Now that we talked so much about uh, the race and how much you two enjoyed it, I wasn't there. So maybe just give us a quick, like, uh, what was your daily routine? When did you wake up? How much brekkie do you have? How far from the place where you sleep to the start? How long are these stages? How do you get back to your hotel? What happened at night? Do you get a massage or not? Do you wash your own bike or not? Just give us a quick, like, uh, take through your day during that race. Yeah, so the stages either start at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. So I'd get up at 5.30 a.m. Ouch. And I, I know. But, you know, when we were at Cape Epic, we got up at 3.30 a.m. Because they were like 6.30 and 7 a.m. starts. So it's just like I was on the routine, which is really nice. I was just like, okay. Okay, I'm going to get up early and I have my bowl of oatmeal that's huge. You know, it's got banana, oats, some collagen, maple syrup, like all the yummy stuff. But, you know, before a race, it's just like not yummy. Like if it was a normal day, I'd be like, yes, I can't wait to eat this. But you're so nervous and like just not wanting to eat. So you're just like stuffing it down, drinking coffee, getting ready for the race. And then I was staying a 30-minute drive from the start because I brought my dog with me and the Airbnb options were pretty low. So I stayed on this farm with alpacas, which was pretty rad, but I had to drive a long way. So drove to the start, got there an hour early, and I love to do stretches before I start mountain bike stage races. Like, I don't really do that for for gravel races or anything but it's like you know a bit of the like cat cow downward dog getting the hips loose because definitely in Pisgah I think like just like getting your body ready more than just like being able to just sprint up a hill is quite nice and then yeah raced our hearts out and then we were lucky enough to finish most of the days down by Davidson River and um you soak your legs in a very cold river with friends, which was great. Talk about the day. And for me during the race, I spent most of my time going back and forth with George and Bobby. Like a lot of the time, like I would start the day going up the climb, staying on wheels as long as I could. And then it'd be like, when we got to the single track, when am I going to catch them? Like, and then like how, or can I keep them behind me until like we get to the next like single track? Cause they always caught me like on the gravel climbs or whatever it was. Like you guys came by me, like I was sitting still and I was like, I am strong. <laughs> I am fast. Like I'm actually in the top of the dudes right now, but you guys would just come by so fast. It's like, Oh, I'm not going to get on that wheel today. But then it would be definitely like, am I going to catch them by the bottom of, the last descent before the end and I remember one day we actually ended up almost just like coming into because I passed you at the very last of the single track but that was always so fun I love that and then um we like basically I washed my own bike I am on a factory team but this week I took care of myself so I washed my own bike 
if I didn't, I took it to Sycamore Cycles and I had to pay them to wash. And I did do that twice. And then, you know, fixing up your bike. Like one day I wrecked and my brake lever was up. So you have to like make sure your bike's working again. Got to eat food. And then I would go back to Podium, which is another 30 minute drive in the evenings. And they always have dinner there and podium and the video and photos and you get to like talk and hang out with friends and then yeah get back sit in my squeezy boots and get ready for the next day <laughs> so. i i tell you yenzi it's been what 15 years since i've done a, a stage race and you know it was an hour ish to get there and an hour ish to get back I looked at the times, the distances, they were between an hour and 15 minutes on the first day, and I think three and a half hours on the longest day, for, for me at least. So I, I really, I mean, we did two podcasts that week, so I had to get back and you know get ready for the podcast. But I must say that that grind of exactly what Casey explained, getting up in the morning, the only thing I can even relate that to that you'll love is the morning of the Criterium International early stage where it's still dark and you're trying to woof down all this food. You know, it, it just didn't make sense. You know, after the first day, second day, third day, I, I was like, kind of over this, you know, like, don't really want to eat this at I was getting up at, you know, 4, 4.30 in the morning because I had some work to do and then eat and then drive and then get your car, uh, your, your bike out of your car. And yes, I even washed my own bike five days in a row, which was amazing. But like I said, I'm super happy that I had a bike uh, of the caliber that it was from, from Revel Bike. So I was like, I'm not showing up to the race with a, a dirty ass bike, that's for sure. But it was, unfortunately... Because we had stuff to do in the afternoons, we couldn't hang around up there and, and go to the award ceremony and really take in, um, you know, those briefings and watching the video and stuff. But that's what that's from the outside looking in, Casey. That was what was so cool was that you all really supported each other. You all seemed to know each other. You obviously, you know, quite a few of you knew every little you know, boulder and, and root in, in Pisgah. That was for me very refreshing because normally on the road, you know, when Jens and I were racing, it was, you know, spend as much time in the bus, go to the start line. As soon as the finish line is over, get back in the bus and, and go back. And so you're like in that little bubble. I wish I would have had time to, to hang out with y'all because it, it, watching those videos and then, you know, hearing what you guys were talking about at the next morning just seemed like a totally different aspect to cycling that I had never really seen before. So to all you people, um, Todd from Blue Ridge Productions, you did a fantastic job. You have quite the vibe up there. Thank you very much for putting on that race and giving an old guy like myself um, a new, I wouldn't say interest but a new passion um and i'm gonna get better and i i'm not gonna say i'm i'm not gonna put my hand in the fire and say i'm gonna do that race again because it was nerve-wracking but um thank you for 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 allowing george and i to to go to that race but um 
Let's talk a little bit more about what you have in store because, yeah, you came from Cape Epic and then you were out at Sea Otter and then you did um, the Pisgah Stage Race. And now, as our listeners can probably hear, you're basically renovating your your house. You know, it, it's a very echoey chamber that you're in. I see fresh paint on the walls. I've been following you on Instagram. You're doing a lot of spackle, a lot of uh, drywall, if you will. So besides that little project, what do you have for, you know, coming up for the summer? Yeah. In two days, I actually fly out for my first ever bikepacking trip in Arkansas. And I get to be a part of it with a couple of other ladies where we spend five five days after they fly us out to this remote area, pedaling back on single track back into Bentonville. And there'll be coverage on that. And we'll like, you'll, everybody will get to read about it in the fall, but that will be my first bikepacking trip. So I'm about to get humbled and made a fool, just like I've been made a fool with this house stuff. Like it's just like constantly learning new things, which is good. And then, um, after that, I go to Unbound 200 because I'm one of the very lucky people that are in the Grand Prix. So Unbound 200 and then the next one big focus will be Leadville. So I will do Leadville stage race before that. And then um, I will basically take inventory. Right now I am top 10 for the Grand Prix, but if I am not top 10 in the Grand Prix after Leadville, I will um, go to BC Bike Race. If not, I will do a race for Grand Prix. And then we got Big Sugar and, of course, USA Nationals. So a good season ahead. So that will be exciting. And then I'm also taking my CPA exams. So I off I took my second CPA exam this past Wednesday, right after the state race. So it's a lot of, like, fitting it all in. <laughs> I should have added that in, that during the stage race, I would take a couple hours during the day afterwards studying, but that's not fun to talk about. It's miserable and stressful, but I hope to be finished with that by the fall. So I'll be a CPA making money on the side. It'll be great. <laughs> and it might be not nice talking about for you or our thinking it's not nice but actually it is because it does show our followers viewers listeners how much of a fascinating personality you are you know you work hard in life that is fantastic i mean you look and it looks like you got it all under control and talking control <laughs> now you go to arkansas how do you pronounce that again arkansas you say it like that and yeah, it's arkansas. your first unsupported bike trip What is on your packing list and how far have you advanced with packing for this race? What goes in? Do you bring an extra chain? Do you bring chain loop? Do you bring an extra helmet? Do you bring a parachute? What is in your bag? Let us know. <laughs> yeah, you bring a parachute to get out of the plane. That would be super rad if we got to go skydiving to get to there. I'd really like knock something off my bucket list. But um, yeah, we have... I just borrowed a bunch of bags and one goes like on the handlebar. One's like a huge one for the, um, under the seat. But yeah, you have to bring stuff like a sleeping pad, a sleeping bag, like one chamois, I suppose. 
but I think I'll try to bring two and wash one. I don't know. That one's really like getting to me. I'm thinking on it and it's going to rain. So I have to bring a real rain jacket, not like one of those that folds up and puts into your pocket. So got to bring that. And then I'll have a big camel back on with water. You have to worry about food. So we have to like navigate where there are stores and then you have like a little um, gas fuel. I'm not good at camping. Like everybody else is going to know the terms to this, but it's like basically like you light it up and you warm some water and you eat your dehydrated meal on it or your oatmeal in the morning. Um, and I bought instant coffee from REI. So, <laughs> and then you have, your casual clothes for when you're not riding. So I bought like super compactable shorts and a shirt, but it's like, that's all I'll be able to take. Cause you have limited space for everything. And you know, I don't know if you guys know Lel Wilcox, but she just did the Arizona FKT trail. She's kind of a friend of mine. We've done some stuff together, but she does this all the time for weeks and I've just been like, how? Why? Like, I don't even, like, I want to text her and be like, yo, did you bring one chamois or two? And are you even wearing a chamois? Because the two other girls I'm riding with aren't wearing a chamois. Like, that's the trick. Yeah. But tool-wise, you know, you kind of just have to, like, hope and pray, I think, a little bit for myself, like, please be nice to me and don't give me a huge mechanical. Like I'll be able to fix flat tires. And like, if my chain breaks, but you know, much more than that, I might be like calling a friend, like, yo, come pick me up. <laughs> but I hope that does that. So <laughs> definitely going to be chain. That's a good call. Chain you so can calls. only call your friend for help. If you have reception, if you, on the deepest end of some canyon in the middle of nowhere. There's no reception. You have to walk up a hill first or a mountain to get reception. And do you bring extra batteries for your phone or like a charger? How, how, how are you going to work that out? Yeah, definitely going to bring a charging block. And then there are a couple of nights where there's like a rustic cabin that we're staying in, but it doesn't have, I don't, I don't know the situation, but I am hoping we'll get to recharge like halfway. Cause we will go through town. So you'll just like recharge the charging block. But um, yeah, the calling the friend with no cell phone reception, I will say I put myself into predicaments. Like when I've done those 48 hour Pisgah races, it's not like there's cell phone service and stuff does go wrong and you do want to quit. So I have like been really good at like, well, worst case scenario, I could probably walk my bike for 30 miles. Like, you know, you kind of have to like go to that part of your brain, like, well, the next town's in 20 miles. Like worst case scenario, I guess I'll have to walk there till I get cell phone reception. And I actually had a friend doing that 48 hour Pisgah race and we're required to like have whistles and emergency blankets, but like who uses that in a race, you know, like surely to goodness, like it's safe. Well, it's not. So <laughs> my friend had a huge wheel like malfunction and it blew up 
and it was cold, it was dark, it was rainy, it was all the things. So his other friend had to pedal forever to go get the car in the race because there's nobody that you can just like call for help in this race that's going to help you. You got to figure it out. So his friend's like, I'm going to go get the car. I'll be back. So it's hours and hours later, his friend comes back and my friend is in the emergency blanket and he's a very positive guy. And I think you have to be kind of positive to be doing this stuff. And, you know, he opens the door and he's like, wow, this emergency blanket really works. Like, this is great. And it was just like, oh my God, like, that is not what I would be thinking in that moment. I'd be like, give me in the car, give me back. He's just like, I'm so impressed that this emergency blanket actually works. <laughs> so maybe I should take one of those with me this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, you got you got to be safe, no doubt about it. But um, you know, as a Cat Five gravel guy and um, a Cat Six mountain bike guy, the one thing that I'm trying to familiarize myself is with all the little tools and you know little little dealy bobs that everyone has either stuck to their bike or some are like actually in the bike itself. But the one thing that I can't figure out. And I'm curious if you know how to use it. Are those little plug things? Have you ever had to use a plug? And like, what is the technique for that? Because it seems so simple. I, I have this one that looks like these little pieces of bacon and you stab it in there. And then I have these other things called, I think they're called darts. And it's supposed to react with the, the sealant inside the, the tube. But have you ever had to use that? And like, how do you use it? Yeah, unfortunately, I've had to use them a lot. And like, even this year at a local race in Georgia, I got a weird flat that the hole was so big, it took like five darts to get in there, but it wasn't darts. So there's like another thing too, that basically is like a metal end and like bacon on the outside. So I carry those, but they're so expensive. Like one of those costs like 20 bucks a dart basically. So by the time I put in five, that's like a new tire, but you know, it helps you get the finish line. So the technique I feel like is with gravel, you need to have either the bacon or the ones with the metal ends because the darts sometimes don't work because it's too tiny of a hole, like the stands darts. I mean, stands will say they do, but I have struggled like to get it to even pierce in. Um, and basically it's like the bigger the hole it is, like you just take that bacon and you just shove it in there until nothing, no air is coming out, which is quite a great technique. But if you use the ones with the metal ends, you will never be able to put a tube in after you do that or the sand darts or you have to like pull them all out before you put the tube in. So you're real committed to it. But yeah, yeah just like I've in the hole, unfortunately is the technique. <laughs> <laughs> well, after, you know, so many years of just putting up your hand and then there's a car coming from behind with whatever you needed. Um, I, I must admit, I am off the back with uh, bike repair, you know, especially out there on the road. But it's not going to phase me. I'm going to continue to do gravel and, and mountain biking and continue to go on these adventures, make these memories, have these experiences. 
And uh, with that, thank you so much for for coming on the the show today, Casey. I mean, it was a pleasure to meet you as well as all the other racers. Congratulations to everyone that finished that race because it was epic. And um, good luck with everything that you have coming up. The uh, your little project of Lycra and Afraid being dropped in the middle of nowhere that sounds like uh, a blast. So we'll have to follow you on Instagram and and get the uh, the lowdown on on that whole adventure. Yes, please do. It's queso dip, so you guys can link it in there. But I'll definitely be sharing the fun stuff of it and the scary stuff. So it'll be good. And thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a blast. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And a huge thank you to Casey for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Vela News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Moza. And please don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. And please share your cycling stories with us. So, Bobby, Casey was there to do her job. She actually worked at that race. What was your excuse to go there at your age, man? I think we need to talk. <laughs>